Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I am your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. One of my personal favorites, one of the show's favorites, one of those people we get great feedback on is Lee Kaplan. Uh, he's an attorney, a business attorney, and uh, we we love our conversations. I say we, I'm including you, Lee. We have really good conversations because even though we're probably, you're more, you know, Democrat, I'm historically more Republican, but we have an extraordinary amount of agreement because we live in such odd times where I think we're both honest pursuers of what is the truth, what is true, which is so hard to find in our culture, and I think so needed now more than ever. Um, real quickly, I know that you have changed. It's been reported in the news that you've changed firms. Real quickly, mention your firm and uh, that you uh, have recently joined, and the website so people can get, can get more information. Sure. As of January 1st, I am at murphyballstratton.com. It's Murphy Ball Stratton LLP. And uh, this is a smaller firm. It's an opportunity to practice law with, uh, in my mind, greater flexibility. And my colleagues are all extremely gifted. I should add they're younger than me. And uh, that's really energizing. And it's fun. We'll handle all kinds of trials, arbitrations, and appeals. And if people ever call me to be an arbitrator or a mediator, I will consider doing that as well. I've done it in the past, and it's fun. So uh, it's mbssmartlaw.com because and we like to a, practice law wisely. Is it exclusive, exclusively business-related? No, it includes white-collar matters as well. I guess you could say that's business-related. And then on occasion, uh, we may take on various kinds of pro bono cases or file amicus briefs uh, 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 when people ask, and we're so inclined. I don't know that we have settled on uh, a given philosophy because, of course, all our lawyers are different people and have different views about uh, political matters and and personal matters. So uh, we'll try to do things by consensus, but we'll have a lot of flexibility because right now there are just basically half a dozen attorneys working at the firm. Yeah, very interesting. Well, I'm I'm look forward to hearing stories about uh, about your adventures with your new firm. But today we're going to talk about speaking of adventures. <laughs> let's break that broken out here in uh, Texas. Um, uh, Governor Abbott is a, uh, is a man who uh, is, seems very, very uh, passionate in terms of his uh, behavior and his agenda. He um, talk, a lot of retribution action. What do you say to stage courts? Well, the governor has pitched his tent on vouchers. And for somebody normally so ideologically I don't want to say nimble, I would say aware. I'm surprised that he made this so important, knowing that many, many rural Republicans care deeply about the public schools, uh, in part because their spouses may be affiliated or employed by those schools. Their children go to those schools. Many small towns don't have private schools. And the governor's voucher proposal would never pay enough 
for a private school in those small communities. So I'm surprised he picked a fight on that issue. Everybody talks about school choice, but the public schools are the backbone of small communities. And as we know, the Republicans uh, control um, or win elections in those rural communities. So I'm just surprised that the governor made that so important. Um, I've never really understood that. Greg Abbott has always struck me as somebody who, while ideological, can read the political tea leaves, and he has been unsuccessful in this regard. Multiple yeah. special sessions didn't get him what he wanted. Yeah, and then you, you, you said it in passing, I want to reinforce the reality is that, that Republicans, no Republicans can win in Texas without the rural areas. It's simply impossible. Be it, uh, you know, be it uh, for statewide office, uh, on the, you know, that are state related, or be it for uh, federal offices. They can't win in Texas without the rural areas. And so I, I had a similar, and you can't say it's pragmatic, and you didn't, uh, but he's pretty savvy. Um, he's pretty capable historically of looking at situations and go, well, I can have all the fantasies I want about uh, so-called school choice. He wouldn't call it that. I can have all the fantasies I want, but it's just not going to work in reality from a political perspective. And he has not done that when it comes to this. Well, and it's unusual to see a governor and a lieutenant governor and the attorney general, who are all Republicans, take out after individual Republicans for different reasons. The Republicans who voted in favor of impeaching uh, Attorney General Paxton are people who he's targeting. And he, of course, has well-heeled supporters who will assist him in putting up opponents to those people. Then there are others who voted against vouchers and held fast against vouchers. And the governor is going after them with his influence and and presumably his financial supporters so i don't think it imperils republican rule in texas but it, it certainly divides that party on issues that to me seemed unnecessary um and who knows what the outcome will be november is a long way away and things have a way of happening that we never anticipate uh, 10 months down the road yeah, no question about it. And it seems that, um, you know, voters tend to have very short memories, don't they? Uh, you, see, you see something unfold and you go, oh, this is going to carry. It doesn't. It, it, that's one of the things that blows my mind. Right. I, it, this is inexplicable. And, and it strikes me as being a, a personality issue or, or just uh, the governor having kind of lost his mind over one issue. Once he pitched his tent, he showed no real appetite for compromise. And I don't mm -hmm. understand that. I really don't, particularly in, in what I would call bright red counties, there is opposition to vouchers and, and essentially affecting the public schools. So this is inexplicable to me. 
Yeah, absolutely. Talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how does this fit into a larger agenda? You and I had conversations a year ago that uh, we would be, we would not be surprised if uh, Abbott ended up running for president, right? We had that more than once. Neither one of us would have been surprised. He seemed like he was very similar to DeSantis in that uh, type of posturing. Now the idea seems completely beyond the realm. Um, certainly it's too late now for this cycle. Um, but how do you think this fits in into his long-term objectives? And I know you're just, you know, you don't hang out with uh, Greg, but, uh, you know, I also know you think about these things. Well, you know, I would never say never, and we can't really predict how the Republican Party is going to go statewide or nationally for sure, uh, but it may be that Trump gets the nomination, that he loses in a decisive way, and the Democrats have not been shown to have developed a whole lot of leadership uh, under President Biden. And so we may have a fairly stark contrast for 2028, in which case uh, Abbott may step into that fray. Right now, you know, if somebody had predicted that Bill Clinton or Obama would be president uh, four years before their election, many people would have thought them crazy because Clinton gave a disastrously long speech at a Democratic National Convention, and people thought his prospects were uh, no better than dim. And Obama was a rookie senator, and uh, nobody thought that uh, he could be president. Uh, most people thought he ought to wait his turn, get a little seasoning. And in both cases, those individuals became president. So. It's um, hard to say what's going to happen in 2028. I would expect, I mean, if I just had to lay odds, I would expect that Greg Abbott will run for president in 2028. Interesting. And nothing surprises me. And I can say that because even this strange policy is advocating fits in well with the culture wars which seems to be the only thing Republicans are interested in. But then again, you look at uh, what the Santos has done. He's made that centerpiece, and uh, frankly, he's failing. You know, he's failing when I look at, at his situation. But you know that speech you referred to of Clinton, nineteen eighty-eight, for the caucus. I'm telling you, that thing should have had a warning on the bottom of the screen to not have any sharp objects in the room while watching this. It was exhausting, and uh, I, I could have been career-ending, let alone killing the dead. I actually think he learned a lot from that experience. Um, Bill Clinton, uh, who I give mixed reviews to, like so many other people, Bill Clinton you know, was really an artist when he kind of came to impromptu speaking. That guy is phenomenal at that. I think he also figured out from incidents like that, uh, the limits to that. I, he he got kind of carried away. Oh, wow, look at this audience, all of which is diminishing with every word that comes out of my mouth. But anyway, yeah, those are great examples. You're right, it's hard to project. Um, well, so, uh, and that works on both a- sides. I mean, people thought Dick Nixon was finished after he lost the race for the governorship in 1962. So he was twice defeated, once for the presidency, then in 62 for the governorship of California, and he famously said, you won't have Dick Nixon to kick around anymore. And surprisingly, in 1968, he was elected president. So um, there's nothing that can be safely predicted uh, two or four years in advance. And you know, with far more 
than the era we live in now. I mean, <laughs> I was, it's funny you should say all this, you know, because I was just thinking about, uh, you know, before the show, I was thinking about how uh, we get this predatory is to a certain extent because it's all changed. It, it changes radically almost on a monthly basis. You and I have observed uh, things, predicted things, and, you know, we, we've, done our, we've done our fair share of correct, correct uh, calls, but, man, we've also had some where I, I simply could not believe how, how uh, it ended up going. So it's all very interesting. So I'm wondering, you know, so you pointed out the fact that uh, our lieutenant governor, uh, Patrick, is, uh, you know, very much in line when it comes to the school choice issue as well. And I also know that there's some tension there uh, between him and the governor over uh, the insane tax uh, debate place in the, in the last legislature. Um, how much does, you know, how, where do you see their relationship at now? Well, I see their relationship as guarded. Um, I'm sure that Dan Patrick wants to move up, and I don't know what spot he wants to move up to. I uh, assume that at some point John Cornyn will not be senator uh, just based on his age, and maybe that's uh, where Dan Patrick is biding his time. Or he may think that at some point he would challenge Abbott. And uh, there are differences, frankly, over how we were going to cut Taxes uh, seems to me to be fairly uh, simplistic, and I think that the compromise that they reached uh, was something that was, should have been ordained from day one, and I never understood exactly how the Republicans managed to get themselves so crosswise in disagreeing how they were going to uh, come back with tax relief. Of course, the rest of this is... I don't think they're going to be able to successfully starve the public schools without a little bit of an uproar uh, from rural counties. And I, I think we're going to be back having to find new ways to fund the schools in just a few years. So this was a very short-term achievement, if you want to call it that, by the Republicans to cut property taxes. Absolutely. Frankly, you know what it reminds me of? It's like a prelude to Proposition 13 in California, right? But this right. crisis ever since, the dramatic uh, property tax cutting uh, package back then, uh, which has made it impossible. You're talking about why California has the highest income tax of any state in the union? Well, Proposition 13 is one of the reasons why. They gotta pay for things. They gotta find money. And when they constitutionally prohibit themselves from doing that, man, they are really setting themselves up for disaster. Right. Well, my personal view has been that we have a federal system and the federal government mainly nicks people on income. And the states and cities mainly nick people on wealth and consumption property taxes, uh, sales taxes, and um, I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. Having an income tax for Texas is something that people will reflexively rail against, but if you simply align the Texas system with the federal system so that your your income taxes in Texas, your state income tax if you have one, 
somehow follow along with a federal income tax, theoretically enforcement would be easier. I don't I don't know yeah. that for a fact, but it does seem to me to be fair for us to catch people if we're going to fund government all three ways, on income, on wealth, and on consumption. And yeah. that way, uh, if somebody wants to buy an expensive yacht, they can do it, and they'll pay a big sales tax for it. If they want to have a really big house and and a big lot, they'll get caught on property taxes. And if they just make a ton of money and squirrel it all away, they'll pay income taxes. So that's the triad. And, you know, there are other fees and that sort of thing, but those are a type of consumption fee, but they're not very not very big, excise taxes, et cetera. So that division strikes me as sensible. And it's just up to each state how much individuals are willing to pay for public schools, for uh, roads other than the interstate highway system, for other things that state and and local governments perform. Kathleen, always love having you on the program and uh, delighted to uh, have these conversations. I am Kevin Price. You are listening to the Nationally Syndicated. Price of Business Show.